couple of moments, you will hear the story of how my next guest changed my board operator's life as a young man. It involves Stan Smeal, an autograph, and a pizza box. That story coming up in moments. Uh, my guest is Stan Smeal, a longtime employee of the Vancouver Canucks from a number of different points of view and a number of different levels as well. He's the only member of the organization to be part of three Stanley Cup final appearances by the Vancouver Canucks, one as a player, one as a coach, and one in management. He is the legend, Stan Smeal, and he joins me now. Stan, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? I'm very well, Jeff, and yourself. Uh, I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for this. And, and congratulations. Not that we're wrapping up a career here because you're still very much involved with the Vancouver Canucks. Um, just transitioning uh, the role within uh, hockey operations right now. Uh, community ambassador. Um, you know, still doing a lot of community and business-based initiatives with the, with the Vancouver Canucks. But just as a pause in the career, um, first of all, congratulations on everything that you've done with the, with the Vancouver Canucks. And what sort of brought you to this decision? Well, thank you. Uh, like you said, uh, I'm not retiring. I'm just moving on to a different position within the organization. Um, you know, I, I think I've been thinking about it for 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 a few years here now. Um, if you remember, uh, obviously in, in 2021 of December, um, when uh, the Akron family uh, approached me and both. In being an interim GM for 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 five days, and the first things that I said at that press conference was, "This team doesn't have any identity." And uh, I guess Jeff, now I'm very comfortable which way the team is going um, with the hiring of uh, Jim uh, Rutherford and Patrick Alvin, uh, both of them uh, winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, Jim uh, three times, just as his experience. Uh, just a game plan. There is a game plan, and Jim will not. Jim, first of all, knows what it takes to be successful, and he's going to stick with that plan. No one's going to change his mind, or he's not going to jump around on, you know, uh, let's say with Vegas, the success they had winning the Stanley Cup, and then another team comes in next year and they have speed and you want size. Jim knows what it takes to get mm-hmm. there, along with Patrick. And we have some young, talented staff within our front office um, that are going to get an opportunity moving forward. So uh, that was one of the reasons um, um, for me being with the organization is in, uh, I know we are in good hands right now. Um, the other one is, um, you know, my personal life has been very challenging the last few years. And uh, with this new role, um, it gives me more time to spend with my family. That's excellent. Uh, that, Jeff, is, that is excellent. Um, and Jeff, you bring up like, you know, 45 years with the, you know, with one team, one organization. I, now that I can pause and think about it, um, you know, when I left home from uh, Northern Alberta, uh, St. Paul, I was 13 and I came to play in the BC Junior Hockey League in Bellingham. Uh, I had no idea that I would get here. I watched the Canucks uh, many times uh, being out in the West Coast and playing with New Westminster, but I had no idea I'd, I'd be able to uh, play for them and then, you know, uh, be around for 45 years and, and, and that it's been very enjoyable. 
You know, you mentioned, um, because there's a legendary story revolving around it, and I'm, I'm curious how much uh, you'd like to share with us. When you took that interim GM position, um, there's a story about this uh, this speech that you made to the team about what it meant to be and what it means to be a Vancouver Canuck. Like, from everyone that we've ever spoken to, it was an incredibly powerful and, and moving speech. Um, how much can you share about that with us? You know what, Jeff? That was really, really interesting you bring it up, and uh, it is out there. Um, I remember at that time um, our in-staff um, wanted to uh, video uh, me doing the introductions um, with with Bruce being the head coach, and uh, I, I think that's all important. But I, I felt I had a message that I wanted to to leave with the players in that dressing room. Um, and we didn't, mm. uh, I didn't allow them in, in the dressing room. And uh, it was just the staff, um, Daniel and Henrik, Ryan Johnson, um, and numerous people, our medical people, just the people that are touching the players day to day. And like I said, um, uh, we've lost the identity of what a Canuck is. And I just want to talk to players about that identity. And, and um, you know, I think for me that was important to say the message and it's between the players and I and uh, we had success with it. I can respect that. Um, I want to bring someone aboard here. This is uh, this is the board operator for this program. Uh, someone you talk about touching lives. It's not just hockey players, Stan. This is a this is a cool story. Uh, I'm going to bring Lance Kennedy aboard. He's a, he's our board operator here for the show. Who yeah. has a Stan Smeal story? When I when I when he found out that Stan was going, he goes, "Oh, I got a Stan Smeal story. I got a great Stan Smeal story." So instead of me relaying it to you, Stan, I'm going to have Lance Kennedy tell the story. I'm curious what your reaction is. Lance Kennedy, meet Stan Smeal again Stan it's a pleasure to meet you the last time I met you I was seven years old 1982 and on a family vacation we went to Canucks game and after the game my dad took me down to meet some of the players and you're coming out after the game and he encouraged me to ask for an autograph I didn't have any thing to get signed you were carrying a pizza box and you ripped off the top of the pizza box (laughs) signed it and gave it to me and since then, you like that always cemented me as one of my favorite players of all time for doing the, that solid favor. You know what, Lance? I remember the pizza box. That's that's quite uh, uh, quite the story. But yeah, it was after the it was at the Coliseum. Um, obviously, the fan base uh, there could wait after the games, and basically, when you walked out of the dressing room. Uh, fans were there and, and the players signed autographs and then walked out their vehicles and left. But you know what? It, it, that does bring back a memory with the pizza box and, and, and myself walking out and being able to sign that and give it to you. Well, that, it, yeah, it made a lifetime memory for me. And yeah, it's a pleasure uh, being able to talk to you all these years later. Well, Lance, it's a pleasure for me too. And, and that do you still have the pizza box? I wish. Somehow I think it got lost in <laughs> movement and stuff like that. But if I did, it'd be, it'd be framed for sure. What, there you go. What, what, you're supposed to, what you're supposed to say, Lance, is, oh, it's, it's in the Hockey Hall of Fame Resource Center. They're just waiting for the, uh, the Stan Smeal wing at, uh, at Young and Front Street to get built, and we'll have it in there in a prestigious place. Jeff, a, a healthy diet for, for an athlete walking out with a pizza box <laughs> after the game. 
I don't think so. We see players walking out with pizza boxes anymore. We see a lot of protein shakes and uh, things no. like that, but I don't think we see pizza boxes much anymore. But you know what? Here, here, but here's the thing, Stan. Like, here's here's what you know. Lance's story is a beautiful one. I'm I'm so glad that you that you remember it. Um, but what it does sort of wink at, at least, is how much of an effect you had on Vancouver Canucks fans. Like, you were a great teammate. Like, I can remember, you know, uh, you know, 13-year-old me watching you and Tiger and Roger Nelson with, with the towels in Game 2 against Chicago. You know, your teammates loved you. People hated playing against you. Um, you know, I remember talking to, to Keith Acton, who I live in Stouffville, and, and Keith lives here, and we talked about the Memorial Cup when you played Peterborough, and he just hated playing against. Like, there's, like, everyone has a Stan Smeal story, whether you're a fan or you played against you or with you but how much did fan like Vancouver Canucks fans mean to you while you were a player you know it 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 really means a lot to I think any player um you know the the goal is to make it to uh the NHL and fortunately for me I went right from Bellingham to New Westminster to to Vancouver so I knew the province I knew the fan base and more so the fans knew me and knew West, just being down the street of what type of player I was. And like yeah. I remember when, when I was drafted by, by Vancouver, the Canucks and, um, and uh, Ernie McLean punch uh, calling me and congratulating me. And he was saying, he, it's interesting, Jeff, he had a part-time job then with Detroit and he was, trying to get Detroit to, to draft me before. It's interesting with that part of it, but um, I was drafted w- by the Canucks, obviously, but Punch said to me, these are the words, he said, Stan, don't change your game because you're in the NHL. And I never mm-hmm. in that. But at the end of the day, you know, every player has the skill, uh, has to have the skill to get there. You need the skating and you need all those things. And those things you have, I believe, you work on as as you go, and and you know what you have to do to to get to that next next level, and you have to do those things. And I did that, but it was more my work ethic. I, I look back on my career, and 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 the work ethic got me to play thirteen years in the NHL. It was my success, um, and and that. But the thing for me, Jeff, is that I could do that on a consistent basis. You know, when I first broke in the league, I think we played 72 games and we flew commercial. It's not easy being out in the West. It's still not easy. And, and, and we still not. And yeah, it isn't with our private jet. It's still not, but it's a grind. And I was, be, I was able to do that. And people, the fans really respect me that way that I could do that. I think that's the biggest thing that like yourself and other and Lance and other people, that's how they remember uh, that that work ethic was there every night. And that's why you were loved, and uh, and and that's why you are uh, really quickly because I did reference 1982, and I'm sure you've told the story countless times. And unfortunately, we only have a minute left here. If you could, uh, if you could do it in 60 seconds, coming back to the bench. And seeing, I think it might have been Roger Nelson with Tiger Williams talking about throwing sticks on the ice. Bob Myers was throwing penalty after penalty after penalty uh, at yeah. Vancouver. What what went through your mind as as you got to the bench, Stan? It, it, it was uh, 
You're totally right. It, I'll blame it all, all on Myers, uh, the refereeing, um, of course. <laughs> I, I think we deserved a lot of the penalties. They were, the game was kind of, you know, getting out of reach for us uh, at that time. And, and I think it was just the motivation. Obviously, Tagger would have rather thrown the sticks on the ice. But Roger didn't want yep. to go to that extreme yep. and putting putting a towel on and and you know what, what a great motivation for us players because um, it was something that our fan base picked up on uh, coming back for that third yeah. game uh, back in uh, in Vancouver. Just that feeling in the towel power uh, in the Coliseum was was phenomenal. And that was because uh, of Roger. Now every time I see a sporting event yeah, and it- I see the towels. Don't you, Jeff, think of Roger Nielsen? What a great memory. <laughs> I think of Roger. Yeah. I do. I, honestly, I do. I, I think of Roger every, every time I see Tiles. I remember that left such – I mean, I remember watching – it left such a huge impression on me. Now, I had you know, grown up in Toronto, so I had you know, seen Roger Nielsen behind the bench with the Maple Leafs and then with the Vancouver Canucks, yeah. and we all knew him as you know, Captain Video, et cetera, and Harold wanted to put the bag on the head and the whole deal and the big surprise uh, coming yeah. out after getting fired, and Roger wouldn't do it. But watching, like, watching the towel at the end of the – stick you know honestly you know my first thought was i can't believe someone hasn't done this before but there was Roger, like the great innovator one of yeah. the most creative minds we've ever seen in the game absolutely one of the best coaches that i ever played for and even better human being off away from the game you know, listen, Stan, we've only barely scratched the surface of everything you've done in hockey. would love for you to come back at, uh, at another time. And like you mentioned, you're not retired. You're just a little bit of a transition with a career here. Whenever you want, the door is wide open. Thank you so much uh, for doing a couple of things. Coming on, I know you're busy still, um, sharing some of your stories and brightening up Lance Kennedy's day the, the way that you did. He will be buzzing now all weekend long because he got to talk to Stan Smeal. Absolutely, Jeff, and we're going to have to get him a pizza box, and I'll sign it for him again, one he can keep. (laughs) Pick your favorite pizza place in Vancouver. Send one over to Lance Kennedy. Thanks, Dan. You be good. Stan Smeal, legendary Vancouver Canuck. Uh, I love that. Good on you, Lance, for bringing that one up and and hopping on the mic for it. Um, That was so cool. We're going to talk about Stan Smeal coming up in in hour two a little bit as well in the uh, the random hockey fact of the day. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, Matt Marchese. Bet local. What are your eyeballs on tonight? A king number of games to choose from. Yeah, I like the Kings at the Wild. Uh, Puck line is Wild minus one and a half. The Wild are five and one in the last six meetings between these two teams in Minnesota, and the favorite is nineteen and seven in their last twenty six games. And you always like to see when a former player goes up against his former team. And I've got my eyes on Kevin Fiala. Uh, and Fiala's been real good. Um, and as much as you're going to have your eyes on Kevin Fiala tonight, and why not? Uh, also eyes on Marc-Andre Fleury, who gets a start for the Minnesota Wild. So he goes uh, second game in a row, coming off a big win, an emotional one against the uh, against the Montreal Canadiens two nights ago. Matt Boldy out two to three weeks. So quick, speedy Sammy Walker. Uh, I'm not sure whether he's going to slide right in on that line with Joel Eriksson Eck and uh, Marcus Johansson, but he probably will. Gets a call up from AHL Iowa, former captain at University of Minnesota. He's a gopher. Uh, Alex Goligoski, by the way, placed on LTIR uh, by the Minnesota Wild. That is going to be, by the way, a salary capped. I know all teams are doing it. 
but the Minnesota Wild salary cap dance is going to be an interesting one to follow all season long, and we'll see if they can get in a position to accrue any cap space at all uh, for a trade deadline. So uh, eyeballs on Kevin Fiala of the Los Angeles Kings. And eyeballs on Brock Favor. His old team. Well, of course. I mean, he was part of the he was part of that deal too, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Faber looks Faber looks real good. And mm-hmm. we, we got listen. We got full eyeballs of Brock Faber last year in the playoffs. Uh, he looked like right away, like he was fitting in nicely, and he has. That is a gem on the blue line for the uh, for the Minnesota Wild. So Mark Andre Fleury facing off against the Los Angeles Kings. It is Minnesota. It is Los Angeles. One of a dozen on the board tonight around the NHL. And that was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. There are a number of intriguing games. On the board this evening, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. The Oilers are in Philadelphia to face off against the Flyers. Oilers looking to uh, go two in a row after beating Nashville the other night. The Vancouver Canucks facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll see if that dressing down by Rick Tockett, oh man, after the game against the Philadelphia Flyers, has any effect tonight. It is Vancouver. It is Tampa. As Maddie mentions, it is the Kings and the Wild. Um, the Coyotes facing off against the St. Louis Blues. The Carolina Hurricanes taking on the Seattle Kraken. Seattle still lurking for their first win of the season, 0-3-1. Allison Lucan joins me at the bottom of Hour 2. It's the Hawks and the Avalanche, the Bruins, and the Sharks as well. Sam Cosentino, lead draft analyst for Sportsnet, drops by in a couple of moments here on the Merrick Show. His initial rankings are out. Draft rankings. Your Macklin Celebrinis, your Cole Isermans. Those are your top two. And Sam breaks it down from there. Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on 360. Back in a moment. Time now for Jeff Merrick's Random Hockey Fact of the Day. You know, Lance Kennedy, I just uh, talking off mic there a couple of seconds ago, just still stunned that uh, Stan Spiel remembers the pizza box autograph. Back from when was it, Lance? 82? That would have been their uh, their Stanley Cup, their Stanley Cup season when they went and then bowed out against the Islanders. Spiel part of three. All three Stanley Cup final appearances. 82 as a player, 94 as a coach. 2011 in management. And sticking with Stan Smeal, this will be the random fact of the day. The only player in junior hockey to appear in four consecutive Memorial Cup final games. Stan Smeal, yes. You know, he mentioned New Westminster. He played with the Bruins. Ernie Punch McLean, the coach there. 1975, that New West team lost to the Toronto Marlboros 7-3. That tournament was in Kitchener. Then in 76... The tournament was in Montreal. Lost to the Hamilton Finn Cups. 5-2. Dale McCourt on that team. Joe Finocchio, Ron and Marco Cupido. That's where you get Finn Cup from. That's how the team was named. It's probably for another random fact somewhere else down the road. 1977. Tournament in Vancouver. New West victorious. Beating the Ottawa 67s. Doug Wilson, Bobby Smith would have been on that Ottawa team. 6-5 is the final there. And then in 78, when the final, when the Morrow Cup final was split between two markets, Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury, New Westminster Bruins, 
was Stan Smeal, where he was named the MVP of the tournament, beat the Peterborough Peets, starring Stovillian Keith Acton. Hey, Woody. That makes four the only player in junior hockey history to achieve that. Congratulations to Stan Smeal. And thanks to Stan Smeal for coming on the program today. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll talk about the Seattle Kraken, Allison Lucan, who, uh, who covers the team, part of the broadcast crew. She will be aboard uh, to talk about how to right the ship in Seattle, still looking for their first win of the season 0-3-1. And, and tonight, the Seattle Kraken, uh, the job doesn't get much easier as they face off against a team that could legitimately win the Stanley Cup, and that is the Carolina Hurricanes. Hurricanes 3-1-0, the Kraken 0-3-1. Sam Cosentino from the NHL on Sportsnet, also our lead draft analyst, joins me now. We're going to go over Sam's preliminary rankings or the first rankings are up the top 32 uh, from all the prospects whose names you'll be heard called somewhere, maybe Vegas, maybe somewhere else in June. Sammy, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jeffy, and I'm hoping you and Freeds can lobby for Vegas. <laughs> Why is that, Sam? <laughs> well, you know, it's been a little while, and uh, it's expensive to go there, yeah. so getting work to pay for the hotel would be nice. Well, you know, I, th- I think everyone has their fingers crossed that uh, that they'll, if, they, if it's going to be Vegas, that they'll do it at the Sphere. Uh, the problem is, you know, the relationship between uh, the Rangers and the NHL, most specifically Jimmy Dolan and the yeah. NHL. I don't necessarily think that Dolan will be giving the NHL a bargain if they want to use the Sphere, Sammy, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that would make a lot of sense to me for sure. Yeah, there'll be no uh, no red tag days for the NHL for that. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, let, speaking of the draft, and I, I want to get to your your, uh, your 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 top rankings here at uh, at Sportsnet.ca in a couple of seconds. But but first, Sam, let me, let me ask you about the uh, the latest as it relates to the draft, and that is the idea of decentralizing the draft. Now, the NH, uh, 32 NHL teams. The NHL will like them to report back with their thoughts on Tuesday on all of this. The idea being, you know, that teams stay in their home center, do the draft from there. The players can be at a ballroom or at a rink the way it is now. Um, so they're at a, at a different location. The idea behind this is that the draft and free agent day are too close together and teams are scrambling, getting people you know back and forth to the draft and then back to the home center for free agency um what do you think of that what do you think of the idea of decentralizing the draft well i think it sucks to be perfectly honest with you i mean i i sort of get it um but just reading reading elliot yesterday there there's nothing that beats in-person meetings and it's the time of the year where everybody knows that the season is over and Everyone in the same spot at the same time in hockey, it, it never happens. Agents, players, prospects, yeah. general managers, executives, scouts, head scouts. It, it never happens at any other point during the hockey season. And that's the one time where everyone can meet face-to-face. So that's the first thing. From the pure dynamic draft perspective, the one thing that's completely unique to the National Hockey League is everyone's in the same spot. Kids sitting in the stands, names called, hugs mom, hugs dad, hugs sister, hugs brother, hugs agent, like that. Those moments, they're once-in-a-lifetime moments. And, yeah, you can get it sitting in your living room and hugging all your besties, but it's just not quite the same as it being in 
an arena where all the focus is on you for the whole world to see. And I think because of that unique element to the draft, I don't want to see it uh, get, get centralized. Now, there's probably a bigger question that goes along with that in terms of scheduling. Can you push free agency back a few days, a week? Can you start the season a week earlier so that people aren't going to the end of the Stanley Cup, right to the draft, right to free agency? So there are a couple of things that I think the National Hockey League can do there in terms of its scheduling to try and maybe uh, make it work so that the timing of the draft isn't butted right up against uh, against free agency. I, I hear you. Uh, the, the only thing uh, against that as far as free agency goes is expiration of contract date. Like these things end, you know, at, right. uh, you know, at, uh, at, at July 1st noon. So that window opens. Everyone's got to be ready to do business. I mean, ultimately, I mean, ultimately, the answer is start the season earlier. And yeah. you know, try to get your try to get your Stanley Cup final out of June. I know that's not going to happen. I know the NHL does not want to compete uh, against football at that time at all, uh, which is why you see the schedule laid out versus you know Canadian teams versus U.S. teams and who gets a preponderance of home dates early in the season versus late in the season when you're free and clear from the NFL. I know it's not. I know it's not perfect um, for teams, but I'm with you. I like it the way it is. I know there are scheduling issues and costs associated and flying your entire organization all over North America and then getting them back to, to home base for July 1st. But I kind of just, I mean, it, they've been able to do it till now. I, I, I find that the way the NHL does the draft is, and again, I'm biased because I'm a big hockey fan, but I, I think it's the best of all the groups. I think it's I think it's it's better than than any other sport, and I would be really sensitive to even moving this thing either an inch or uh, an inch to the left or an inch to the right. I, I don't want you know anything really to change with it. Like I was pretty, I didn't even like it when they had all the prospects backstage at the Nico Heischer draft, right? Yeah, Nico right. and Nolan yeah. draft, and all the prospects were backstage, and we were waiting to see if anyone was going to take Clem Costin, if he was going to be the lone yeah. man back there in St. Louis to the rescue, and they grabbed them and. I don't know. I didn't even like that. You know, the hats are on before they get out on this. I didn't like any of it. I like it yeah. the way it is. And I know I sound like a grumpy old man when I say it, Sam. But damn it, I like the way the NHL does the draft right now. Yeah, I, I give I give Steve Mayer some credit for trying new things and, you know, trying to make it like the other sports. Yep. But the uniqueness of what we have in hockey needs to be embraced. Could you add to it, change things around a little bit? Sure. I mean, listen, I've worked a lot of day twos. I've slugged it out in a studio by myself during COVID. The 2019 draft, I guess it was, I think I was 10 hours in the studio by myself chewing on, like, candy wrappers yeah. to try and get through it all. But, but listen, <laughs> in terms of, of everyone being in the same spot at the same time and most everyone being relaxed at that point, it's a really cool dynamic to our draft outside of what you see on TV, the coverage of it. And again, I think Steve's open to, to doing new and different things, uh, yep. but embracing what's the most important thing and most unique thing about our draft. A, everyone in the same place. B, the, the hugs and kisses as soon as someone's uh, picked in front of everybody. Yeah, and, uh, and, and waiting on stage with the jersey. Like I keep, I, I keep coming back to this idea that the coolest jersey in all of sports is the hockey jersey. And I don't know that we spend enough time just... I, mean, I just love the, 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 the jersey sitting there waiting uh, for the prospect and putting on the jersey. I don't know that we put enough marketing accent 
on the jersey, and I think it's one of the coolest things about the draft is handing of the jersey and, and the way they put it, like the whole the whole deal. Anyhow, um, so to your rankings. Oh, actually, before we get to the rankings, Sammy, and Sammy's latest at sportsnet.ca, uh, draft prospect rankings, the first edition. Spoiler, Macklin Celebrini is number one. Uh, what did you make of the return of Josh Norris to the Ottawa Senators last night on, on Wednesday Night Hockey? Yeah, it was fantastic. And I, I was a little bit worried. I thought he might be tentative, a little bit worried about contact. So those things had me had me concerned because the last thing you'd want is a guy missed 270 days, he comes back his first game, and he's out. And we've seen players who have been injured in the past, i.e. A, a Gabe Velarde, go down that road again here in the early part of the season. And I couldn't yeah. help but think, I hope Norris is not the next guy. So he's such a huge piece. I, I don't think Ottawa's quite there yet. I think once they get Pinto, now you're talking. Now you're talking about, I think, as a legit playoff team. They might be able to do it without Pinto. I don't think so. But I got to say, Jeff, mm-hmm. and, and I got to toot my own horn here a little bit, this Sanderson is, he is unbelievable. He, Jake Sanderson was so good last night. It was it was like he's been in the year in the league for ten years, and in four years from now, we're looking at eight million bucks for this guy. It's going to be like candy money. He was absolutely brilliant all game last night, asserting himself, coming in at the end to the rescue of Ridley. Greg was trying to get under the skin of Tom Wilson. Like he he did it all last night. He's a stud. I had him at the head of the D class uh, the year he was drafted. Uh, I stood by that, and uh, I think that's the way it's going to play out here. He's he's awesome. Well, let, let, let's take that, though, and, and take the next step. So the 2020 draft, the Ottawa Senators have two picks, number three yeah. and number five. If I told you going into that draft that they would get the top two prospects, and again, it's early. We'll see how Lafreniere and, and, and Byfield and Raymond and Drysdale and Rossi and Perfetti and everybody uh, mature here, Skaroff, but if I told you that the early returns wa- were going to be that Ottawa tiptoes through the minefield around them and grabs the top two players in that draft, what would you say? And do you agree that they've done that in Sanderson and Tim Stutzla? Oh, yeah. I mean, Lafreniere is still finding his way. Byfield still finding his way. Those are the two players that went ahead of Stutzla at that time. And so to think about uh, those two players, both coming out, both at a young age, knowing what kind of character people they are, both sitting on you know eight by eights, I think for both guys, that that tells you everything you need to know, and and that says a lot about Trent Mann, who at the time was working for Ottawa as their head scout, Pierre Dorian, um, you know, making that decision. I know Jamie Drysdale was there; he was right in the mix of that that conversation as well. But pretty pretty amazing yep. stuff. Literally two cornerstone cornerstone pieces to your franchise. One in the back, one up front. Uh, by the way, Stutzle. <laughs> He was unreal last night, too, quietly with three assists, won five of eight draws, played 18 minutes, like like really good stuff. He's becoming one of the elite in the game. He's going to be one of the top ten players in no time uh, in the NHL. Okay, to your list, Uh, your first ranking of the season, Um, Macklin Celebrini, number one, Cole Iserman, uh, number two, Um, how, like, last year it was Bedard and then everybody else. How close is Celebrini and Eiserman? Or sorry, how close are Celebrini and Eiserman here? And could we see some flip flopping throughout the season? I'll be honest with you, Jeff. I don't see the flip flop happening. I've talked to a number of people about Celebrini. I've watched him with my own eyes, and you know his his brilliance at the uh, 
at the under-18 Worlds for Canada where he tied Tyson Jost's uh, 15-point tournament record. And for a, uh, an underage player, set the record past McDavid, past everybody else. So, you, you know, you're able to see it with your own eyes. I think he goes wire to wire. I really do. Now, Iserman's goal-scoring ability is, is, is next level. It's elite. It's probably mm-hmm. slightly ahead of Celebrini's, but Celebrini's entire game, even right now, with projection still to come, I think is better and probably will remain better. So I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking it's not Bedard-esque where there's, there's such a gap to the next player and beyond. Right. Uh, but I do think there's enough of a gap to keep him there probably the rest of the year and go wire to wire. Um, Celebrini, a center, Iserman, a winger. Uh, where are the defensemen in this draft for you? Yeah, pretty good. So, you know, it starts off, um, you think about uh, Levshunov as a Russian player playing at Michigan State. You got Adam Yurichek, the brother of David, who who leans to the offensive side of things a little bit. He's a really gifted player. Uh, you got Sam Dickinson playing with the London Knights program, who who's on the same sort of trajectory as what we saw Evan Bouchard uh, experience when he was with the London Knights, given a lot of responsibility and a lot of airtime at 16. You know, this guy by the second yeah. half of last year was playing three on three overtime. He, he was doing everything, so he's on that kind of trajectory. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're seeing, Jeff, is some higher end defensemen inside the top ten. I think we had seven or eight go in round one last year. That number I would expect to be uh, well into double digits this year because of the number of high-end defensemen available. Um, let me start picking off a couple of players here and, and get your thoughts on them. Henry Muse is um, is a fascinating guy to me. And last year when there was the, you remember the Shane Wright sweepstakes when Shane Wright was available and Kingston was going to deal him and you know Peterborough was in and London was in and um, yeah. Kitchener was in. Like everybody was in. Ottawa was very much in on this one. Um, Kingston, the, the key piece they wanted back was, uh, was Muse, Henry Muse, and Ottawa, like James Boyd, was not going to let him go. Thank you very much. What should we know about Henry Muse? Yeah, it's funny, Jeff. I was just having a, a, a text uh, exchange with, uh, with a scout this morning about Muse and, and Zane Farrakh. So two guys who lean heavily to the offensive yeah. side of things, two guys whose stick and puck skills are, are next level. Their skating ability allows them to, to get them out of trouble. Both look really comfortable handling the puck in high-risk situations um, and use probably just a little bit more refined in terms um, of, of his game and, and his puck skills and decision-making slightly ahead of Parekh. Uh, but that's the type of guy you're getting who leans heavy, heavy offense and a guy who, uh, you know, when he gets mm-hmm. the puck, uh, doesn't matter in what which of the three zones that you'd expect good things to happen. Um, I went and watched Parek last week in Oshawa when Saginaw was there, and I uh, was talking to their general manager Dave Drinkle, and he said, you know, the one thing about Parek is inside the ozone blue line, look out, you have no idea what's going to happen, but if he gets it, something interesting is going to happen. And indeed, that was the case through the couple of periods that I watched him in, in Oshawa last week. Just pause on Saginaw there quickly. Um, they're hosting the Memorial Cup this year. Uh, you know that, you know, with all those trades that Drinkle made last season, specifically the Mitchikoff deal, and Mitchikoff just scored his first career NHL goal um, a couple of days ago as well. Congratulations to him. But, you know, that deal to Ottawa brought back a ton of draft picks. 
uh, Saginaw is going to, you know, load up come trade deadline time at the, at the OHL trade deadline um, and, and bolster their efforts um, for the Memorial Cup this season. How much is that going to put more eyeballs, like more eyes and, and more people watching not just this team, but watching uh, Zane Parekh, the defenseman that we're talking about as well? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's that's a huge thing moving forward because, you know, at some point I think he's going to have to, to modify his game a little bit in terms of, you know, play away from the puck defensive, um, you know, net front winning corner battles in his own zone, that that sort of thing. But there's no doubt your your eyes will pop when you see him with the puck and his ability to, to make plays, pass it with pace. Um, but it's always nice when you're in your draft year to have that extended look and not just an extended look, but an extended look in high leverage situations doesn't really get higher in the in the Canadian Hockey League than than what you see at the Memorial Cup. So, really happy for Saginaw. I know it's a market that's tried a lot of different things over a long period of time. Dave Drakel, the general manager there, has done an amazing job. Chris Lazary, the head coach, has done a good job developing players. Um, off to a bit of a slow start here, but again, a work in progress and a long runway still until we get to May. You mentioned Adam Yurchak a second ago, his brother David, of course, part of the Columbus Blue Jackets organization, high first-round pick a couple of years ago in Montreal uh, by CBJ. Um, but that's not the only brother act in the uh, in, in the draft this year. There are plenty. Uh, and I want to focus on Cole Hudson. We'll, we'll finish up here. Uh, yeah. We talk a lot about Lane Hudson with the Montreal Canadiens and that organization. What should we all know about Cole, his younger brother? I think the story really starts with his brother Lane, who at the U.S. Under-18 program, I remember Jason Bukalai went in, went in there and for the rare 3-on-3 three three that the program had. And that was a, a year uh, they had, I mean, an unbelievable group. And you couldn't take your eyes off of Hudson for three straight games. He was their best player. So the one thing, and, mm-hmm. and you know, he brought to the draft with him a package to, stating that there looks to be future growth in terms of bone grafts and that sort of thing. Um and, and ends up going in the second round, and at BU, he's, he's doing next-level things over there. So now you're looking at his brother, yeah. Cole, and I think in this draft year, everyone just looked and said, there's no possible way that this guy is going to be able to play in the National Hockey League based on his size. Um, but that looks like that's not going to be the case. He's going to play. And so I think when it comes to Cole, he's going to be given a little bit more leeway because of the path his brother has taken to this point, and I think you have to really pay attention to his game. Now, at the end of the day, Jeff, when you look at how many sub-six-foot defensemen there are in Stanley Cup winning teams, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen often. But you do need that type of player to get you to the Cup in terms of your regular season uh, schedule and in terms of the first you know, round or two of the playoffs before it starts to get super heavy. So that's also something to keep in mind. Uh, real quick before I let you go, how many of these players do you think can step into the league immediately? Well, I'm always of, you know, the, the, the Russian players, and there's some of them here in the top 10. That's not likely to happen more probably geopolitically based than, than, than play based. Um, I think Celebrini's the guy who steps in right away. I think Eisman would have an outside shot depending on which club he goes to. But right now, I don't see any more than those two right. guys, yeah. Uh, that's excellent. Sam Cosentino, uh, his initial draft rankings available at sportsnet.ca. Always a pleasure, Sam. We will check back regularly as you publish. Thanks, my friend. All right. Thanks for the heads up on Landon Dupont as well. I know it's a couple of years away, but I always appreciate it. Oh, man. 
Mickey Mickey Dupont's kid. He's uh, and and Dad's already you know uh, working with Kevin Epps. So the the agent. So you can't get poached by any agents right now. And this guy looks dynamite, Sam. As I'm sure you already know. Uh, thanks, pal. You be well. Okay, Jeffy. Thanks again. Sam Cosentino of uh, uh, the NHL and Sportsnet and uh, Sportsnet.ca, his initial draft rankings. Hey, Matty Marchese, how are you? Do you have a do you have a Stan Smeal autograph story like uh, Lance Kennedy does? No, I don't. I don't. Unfortunately, do you have an autograph? Do you have an autograph story similar to that? Oh, off the tops of pizza boxes for you? No, I have an autograph story that's kind of funny. Um, my family and I got- were my family and I were flying to. Myrtle Beach, and I guess I would have been about six or seven years old, and we're walking through the airport at Pearson, and the Winnipeg Jets had just played the Toronto Maple Leafs, so a bunch of them were in the airport. So I go up, and as a fan of video games, I knew who all these players were based on playing video games. So I go up and get autographs, whatever. And uh, there's three yeah. there's three players getting their shoes shined. It was Tim Shovelday. Uh, Mike Eastwood and Chris King. So I go up and I go right okay. to Tim Shovelday and ask him for his autograph. And Chris King looks at me and goes, what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> <laughs> Just so you're a big goalie fan. Sorry, yeah. Kinger. I yeah. love goalies. So I got hit their autographs uh, and T. Mussolini's autograph as well. He was reading a, a magazine at the newsstand. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. So that was my autograph. You still have all these autographs, man? You, at home, you're a, you're so, at an home, autograph collector. Yeah, at home on a hat, I have them. It was a. It was a. Oh, a that's as it was. It wasn't a Winnipeg Jets hat. It was, which is even more interesting because it was a hat of the minor hockey team that I used to play for that no longer exists because they merged with another, and that that team doesn't does not exist anymore. That's hilarious. My son, my eleven year old son. At NTR, which is a rink in Newmarket, a little bit uh, north of, uh, a little bit north of Toronto, he's playing in a three-on-three tournament, and came home with uh, with his baseball, like his team's baseball hat, Stouffville Yankees baseball hat, with an autograph on the uh, on the beak, and I'm like. What's that? He goes, <laughs> Oh, I met a uh, I met a hockey pl- an NHL hockey player, and got him to autograph my hat. You'll never guess, but you want to guess? I think it's Connor McDavid. Newmarket. No, it's not Connor McDavid. Tyler Tucker, the okay. St. Louis Blues. <laughs> okay, I guess he was. I guess he was skating there doing privates or whatever it was. Who knows? But uh, yeah, Tyler Tucker's autograph. Pretty cool. On his, um, on his game baseball. Yeah, that anyhow. Uh, that'll get a little um, little dirty. Uh, yeah, just a little bit. Sorry, Tyler Tucker. That one's going to get sort of uh, probably rinsed out. Uh, throwing hats in the dishwasher will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you got today, Maddie? You, you, okay. you sent me a text about <laughs> some goofy penalty <laughs> shot stuff. <laughs> this was right up your alley because I've never seen this before. I'm I'm almost certain that you've okay. never seen this before. So it was a game in uh, okay. the Champions League in Europe, it was between Ives and Love Champions League. Yeah, Love Champions League. Ives and Rouen. So one team from Finland, one team from France. And Matt Murley put this out on Twitter. Former NHLer, played a lot in Europe. Uh, he does a lot of stuff with spit and yeah. chicklets. And the play. So there's a player who's going in on a breakaway. He gets tripped just past the red line. Falls. Gets back up. Gets tripped again by the same guy. So the initial thought process is what Jeff. Where was the first trip? Just after the red line towards the opposing goal. 
And where was the second trip? Inside the blue line towards the opposing goal by the same player. <laughs> I would, and again, I'm not an official, but I would give a penalty shot on the trip under the blue line and a two-minute minor for the trip in the neutral zone. Well, that is not what this official did because they gave two <laughs> penalty <Okay>. shots. <laughs> two penalty shots. <laughs> back to back. <laughs> Never seen anything like it. Well, hang on. And it was, the, it, was, it, was, it was the same guy that was tripped, right? Both yes. times? Yeah, same guy that was tripped both times. And... The guy. So in in Champions League, in Champions League, is it the player that gets fouled that has to take the penalty shot, no. or can you choose? No. So the the guy who got tripped took the first one. He missed, and yeah. then another guy took the second one. Basically, tried the same move. He missed, and this is where it gets even more bizarre. The guy who committed both fouls also got four minutes in penalties on top of the two penalty shots. Okay, but what were those penalties for? That like, was I he beaking the official on that, the way to the that box. That I don't know because you would think that that would have been a ten. True. So I don't know. It's the most bizarre mm. thing that I've ever heard in my life. The fact that two penalties because you know what happens in a situation like that. Like officials are very reluctant to First call two all, penalties on the same play, let alone two penalty shots. Yeah, I don't. I don't like the penalty shot for the uh, for the infraction at center ice. It was that's, clear that's though, too, that's, that's, clear that's breakaway from the net. Clear breakaway, like he beat him at his own blue line. Ah, uh, jeez, I don't know. It's still okay, okay, it's I'll, amazing. I'll, I'll, I'll grant, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that one. Two penalty shots on the same play, back to back. And what's more impressive is the goalie stopped both. After. Well, if it's the same move, why wouldn't he? Well, um, different guy. Okay, so you've got you've got you've got homework. I know you got I know you got a hustle, but find out that I'm sure this is this is like the the, the discussion rages online. Can you find sure. out by the end of the show what the rationale for this was? I can try. Like what the thinking for this one was. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call, I'm gonna after the show. I'll, I'll call some officials and try to figure out. Okay, I have, what happened here? I have an the official about, who's a brother, so I can ask him. Though, well, give him a shot. I was thinking, like, at a with all due respect, like at a sort of higher, yeah, no, so international level, maybe NHL level as well. So apparently, um, at the at the 2018 World Juniors, this also happened. Lance just bugged me. Same thing. Players tripped twice. So this has happened before. I've never heard. I've of never this. seen that. No, no. <laughs> this is so good. That's this wild. is right up your alley too. Yeah, no, no, I love, I love, I love stuff like this. Well, the thing about Champions League too is, I mean, they were the ones that adopted the uh, the penalty kill idea this year. Oh yeah, Remember that's we right. About yes, we talked about this yes, for a yes, few yes, years, yes. where if you kill the penalty, the penalty's over. Like you score, no, sorry, if you score when you're killing a penalty, the penalty ends, which is a real penalty kill. Because I've maintained for the longest time, there's no such thing as a penalty kill in hockey the way it's constructed right now. All you do is endure two minutes. So you want to kill the penalty? Yeah, score a goal and end it. So Champions okay. League's doing it with, with I that because I love I love your rule too, and I think that's how, that's how it should be. But if you do it that way, should you also have to play out the full two minutes? Like if, if you get scored on, so the, the caveat is okay. You score if you're the penalty killing oh, yeah. team. You so have to you kill the penalty so what off. You're talking- yeah, so you're talking about two minute majors. Yeah, is what you're is what you're talking. Hundred percent. 
I like majors. Uh, I'm fine with that. That's the way it used to be until the Montreal Canadiens, because they were so good, ended it. Mm-hmm. Right? That's why they did it. It was the Montreal Canadiens power play would just end games. Like you took a penalty against the Montreal Canadiens, they would fill the net for the full two minutes, and then that was the end of the game. Having the no full competitive contest. Yeah. One, once again, the NHL, once again, once again, the NHL penalizing an entire league because one team is too good at something. Yeah. Just like the trapezoids with Martin Brodeur and Marty Turco. Too good at playing the puck. We have to stop this. Yeah. Now, so here. Can we revisit that rule, by the way? Yeah. Get rid of it. We're done. We're done. We're done. Because you know what? Goal, I find that goalies aren't as good at playing the puck now as they were because there's less of an opportunity for them. So it's like, well, I don't really need to do it all that well. If, if you want to create an area where goalies can't touch the puck, just make it the area behind the net, but let them go float in the corners. You want to take that risk? Go for it. Yeah. I like I like the idea of don't let them touch the puck in front of their net. Lots more scoring opportunities, Jeff. <laughs> Or how about don't let them freeze the puck because technically that's the lay of game. Oh, see now I I was waiting for this. I was waiting for the. I was <laughs> I waiting for a Jeff. Time. I was waiting for a Jeff moment, and we found it. We have hit the nail right on the head. Keep the puck hot. You catch it, you get rid of it. No smothering the puck. Could you imagine Just the slashing the on the goalie game. then? Want to speed the game up? Oh yeah, hundred percent. There'd be no, broken fingers everywhere. But still, like technically, it's the lay of game. If a player does it, it's the lay game. I like how you take uh, okay, the one rule break. Um, and go to the next level with it. I, I do love that. It's, I know. Life, life at extremes, right? <laughs> like whether it's studying history or hockey. Like I just love sort of life at those extremes. Yep. Why Why stop at halfway? Why stop at good enough? Let's just see how, how far we can butcher any rule. Um, we'll hit a break talking about Seattle Kraken. Uh, Allison Lucan stops by in a couple of moments. Looking for their first win of the season, having a hard time scoring goals. It is the Kraken. It is the Hurricanes tonight. Uh, Allison is aboard here in a couple of moments. Thanks, Maddie. Let's see if we can find an explanation for why those penalties were awarded the way that they were in Champions League. Talking Kraken, though, next. Allison Lucan joins me in a couple of moments. Jeff Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet 60. Back in a moment. games on the board tonight around the NHL. Some doozies as well. Now, one of the uh, games to keep your eyes on, the Carolina Hurricanes, who are always a treat to watch. Legitimate Stanley Cup contenders, comma, again. Face off against the Seattle Kraken. Seattle still looking for their first win of the season. Wait a minute, this reads wrong. Having a hard time scoring? Wait a minute, this reads wrong. Uh, Allison Lucan, our good friend, uh, Kraken analyst on Root Sports, joins me now. Allison, how are you today? Well, I'm better now that I get to spend time talking with you. How are you? Oh, bless you. You said that just as I wrote it. Perfect. Thank you so much for that, Allison. Uh, here's my question to open up. Will, will Kale McCarr always be booed in Seattle? Is that his fate for as long as he is a member uh, the Colorado Avalanche, or any other team in the NHL? <laughs> you know, I think he actually might. I have to say, 
I was impressed not just with the continued and voracious booing, but the pinpoint (laughs) precision of when he had the puck and when he didn't. That crowd started and stopped on a dime. They deserve accolades for that effort, for sure. It was one of the, I'm always impressed with, I'm always, you know, having, have an ear on, you know, what crowds are doing, um, you know, when there were, you know, chants on, on Saturday and celebrations on Saturday in Ottawa with Michael Ann Lauer, the new owner, very faintly in the background, I could hear these sign Pinto chants as well. So, I mean, fans let you know how they feel uh, at every, every given moment. And I'm with you. It was precision. Like it was like razor blade precision. The way the minute that Makar touched the puck to when he got it off of his stick, that uh, that the booing started and stopped. It was it was one of the more impressive crowd performances I'll say of the season so far. Albeit it's early, Allison. It's early. <laughs> Absolutely, these fans have been just fantastic, and they were they were ready to go. I don't think you could have scripted a better opponent to start the home season here, although the outcome wasn't what the team wanted. But it was it was definitely a great, mm-hmm. um, in terms of fan emotion, start. Uh, at what point do we start talking about the curse of Sprong? Let him go at your own peril. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he's obviously doing well, and I know you'll keep everyone and all of us <laughs> listeners up to date on him, as you yes. should. Um, yes. But, you know, I, I, you. I think if you look, if you look at where the Kraken are and what they're about and where they are in their process, um, you can understand yep. why the player needed to go elsewhere. He earned a really nice contract, and I think Ron Francis and his crew have goals that are building towards something bigger, and there's going to be some big signings coming up here on the horizon again this year. So, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it is what it is, but, but you wish the player well always. Well, how, how do you look at, I mean, it almost seems as if th- there is a, um, I mean, you have a start, an 0-3 and one start. There's, there's going to be frustration, and I get it. Like, we're, we're seeing Jordan Eberle fight, Allison, like, a, a, of all things here. Um, what's, the, what's the mood around the team? I mean, it, it seems like it's a, it's a frustrated squad right now to kick off the season. I always want to remind myself and anyone who, who bothers to listen to me that, you know, the first couple of weeks of the season, I know the points matter as much in October uh, as they do in April. Uh, but at the same time, it is still early. How is the mood of this team? How is the mood of the organization, though, after this 0-3-1 start to the season? Yeah, you know, and I think that that Eberly fight has to be taken with a bit of a grain of salt because that was an answering of the bell for, you know, the fight that yep. takes out Cogliano in Game 6 last year. Um, and, and, he, and he knew it was coming, and he knew he was going to have to do that, and yeah. you kind of chalk it up to last season. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's a really good sign to me that there isn't – I've been around teams that have struggled to find their way into the win column, and I'm not feeling that frustration here. You know, Dave Haxtell was was excellent talking about where his team is right now yesterday with us, and one of the first points he made is he said, this team is not going to have a 2% shooting percentage <laughs> for the entire season and I think he's right Right. and I think that you know again there are some really positive things this isn't a failure to execute across the board you see you know tremendous goaltending coming out of Phil Grubauer and Joey Decord the penalty kill has been perfect and and while we we talk about Daniel Sprong you know the the fourth line that currently has been Pierre-Edouard Belmar centering Ty Cartier and Kyler Yamamoto has, has actually been a really bright spot, really consistent. 
Um, and, and they buoyed the team with, with their performance when they've been on the ice. So I think this is a group that knows that they have it in them. They know they can't wait for forever to get it going. But Haxtell said he challenged mm-hmm. his, his leaders and his veterans to really continue to push for the details and push for that extra oomph to get the puck out of the puck battle, to make the right pass, to always be in the best position. And, and those details will feed when the puck luck starts coming back their way. Let me, uh, let, let me swing back to Jordan Eberle here because you mentioned, you know, some big signings on the horizon. And, like, obviously, we know you're referring to Matt Beniers um, and what that second contract looks like for him. But I'm curious, at the end of the season, Jordan Eberle, uh, is an unrestricted free agent. Alexander Venberg is an unrestricted free agent. Um, what should we be looking at, if anything, for Jordan Eberle specifically, who just like from day one has been such a huge member of the Seattle Kraken team? Yeah, you know, and he, of course, you know, in, during camp gets the question of has there been any talks, and he gives, you know, a very impassioned speech about how he wants to stay in Seattle. His family loves it here. They love the outdoors, the balance of so many different activities for, for him and his wife and their children. Um, you know, I think this is this is that discussion we start to see, and, and you've talked about this, even if you look at a Stephen Stamkos, you know, when does the price tag start to have to come down if it's a conversation of are you staying and this is a player who's been a huge part of building the identity. He's been a, a huge leader in terms of stepping yeah. up and always answering the difficult questions. And it, it can't be underrated that this is a player who's had tremendous chemistry with Jared McCann, who's just been a breakout star here. You know, those two assist each other on, on so many goals. It, we, we tease them about it. Um, but again, mm-hmm. this is when, you know, as a general manager, you always have to balance and, and not let good become the enemy of great as you build towards greatness and continue to maintain cap flexibility to do so as your youth pushes from, from the bottom and comes onto the roster eventually. You know, at this time last year, we were talking a lot about the future of Shane Wright, um, and it was a really interesting first season that Shane Wright had where he tried to figure out, uh, okay, where do I live today? Uh, do I have my NHL address? Do I have my uh, American Hockey League address? Oh, wait a minute. Now I'm going to the World Juniors. Uh, now I'm going back to Kingston. Now I've been moved to the Windsor Spitfires. Oh, now I'm going back uh, to Coachella Valley. Um, what, is the, what, is the, um, what is the plan, I suppose, for Shane Wright this season? Yeah, I think that, you know, first and foremost, this was a player who was markedly noticeably improved in this year's camp. And I mean that in all areas. I think he was able to be more comfortable. He wasn't getting asked the same questions 18,000 times over and over again. And and his game is (laughs) is continuing to improve on the ice as well. And, you know, with this roster as it is, you know, coming into this camp, I think everyone knew the top nine was pretty set. And it was going to be a battle for those fourth-line roles. And ultimately, when you look at some of the veteran signings they had and the players already on the roster, it, it makes sense for Shane to start this season in the AHL. You know, this is this is a pretty darn good AHL team he's returning to. He's playing with top-notch AHL talent yeah. in a top-six situation where he's going to be pushed, he's going to be able to develop his game. They played just once so far, but it sounds like he had a, a strong first outing. I would not at all be surprised to see him be one of the call-ups as this season goes on, but it's going to be because his game has continued to improve and there's going to be the right spot 
in the Kraken lineup to put him in versus saying, hey, kid, you made the team and you're playing, yeah. you know, six, seven, eight minutes a game. That That's not right for where this player is right now. So here, here becomes my question. I always wonder about this, and there's a long-standing history of you know centers starting their careers on the wing uh, until they trans. We, we just uh, talking a couple of seconds ago about Tim Stutzel in Ottawa, and that's exactly what happened um, with him. Is, is there a like? I'm, I'm curious about the call-ups. Would they call him up specifically for the center position, or could you see Shane Wright called up and maybe he begins his career if he sticks more so on the wing than in the middle? Yeah, you know, we haven't seen anything that would hint to that um, in any of the camp or practices, and um, I haven't asked the specific question. Again, I think it would go back to what is the role that the team needs to fill when that call-up happens. I don't think so. They've kept him at center even, you know, in Coachella, and he's got such a great coaching staff down there helping him develop. Um, Never say never, but that hasn't. I haven't seen any indications to that just yet. Um, the blue line, you know, I was having someone, a conversation with someone in St. Louis about a week ago, and we we're talking about what the St. Louis Blues need. And the point that I made was, well, the St. Louis Blues need Vince Dunn back. Um, that's exactly <laughs> what you know, the St. Louis Blues need. Uh, how is, I know he's you know, leading the team in, in points. I know it's only two, but nonetheless, there it is. Uh, nice new contract, etc. How is How is Vince Dunn look to you? Yeah, Vince actually missed mo- probably most of the second half of camp. Um, he was just battling and coming off of something that the team didn't want to aggravate and let him come back to health. So I think with any player who misses some time, you know, there was some timing to come back to him. But, you know, he's he's looked really strong. Yeah. And, you know, I've said this over and over again. It's part of the fact of the chemistry between him and Larson that actually makes both of them look good. I mean, in, in that game versus Colorado, it was actually – Adam Larson, who had the most shots on goal of any skater on either team. He had six, which was crazy. Um, But, Mm. you know, those two feed each other and I think create distractions for opponents in different ways that allows them to be effective. You know, Dave Haxtell said, I actually asked him about the defense as a whole yesterday. And he says, you know, they've been good as a decor, um, not letting in a lot of high danger chances. He wants to see them get even better. Um, But, you know, Unless there's just a little bit more change with the decision-making, he wants to see that get sharper. He's been pretty pleased with the defense to start the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick before I, I let you go, a couple more for you. One, I want to ask about the Winter Classic. Um, like I, I love this thing. I, I, I was originally one of those people who said, you know, when I first saw the, uh, the, the Snow Globe game in Buffalo between the Sabres and the Penguins, this is great. But uh, let's treat it like the Olympics and do it once every four years. I have then subsequently done a complete 180 uh, on this and all outdoor games. What's the buzz in Seattle about the Classic? Yeah, I mean, everyone here is so excited. It's it's fun. You know, when you're inside an organization, you know there's planning going on from, from the minute the announcement gets made. And what I'm really excited about is just to really open up the NHL's eyes even more to Seattle, not just as the Pacific Northwest and the area, but, but as a hockey market, hockey has been here for a long time. And I think for people to come to appreciate how much this part of the world loves this game and is passionate about this game and and let them see what Seattle is all about and and all of our fun. I I think that's going to be the coolest and and best part. And and it's, I'm just, I'm committing to the fact that it will not rain that day. It's just not going to (laughs) rain. 
<laughs> now, if if there is indeed a hockey god, like in in my universe, Allison, if there is indeed a hockey god for warm ups, for practice, for something around the Winter Classic, the Kraken need to dress as the Metropolitans. Please tell me you've heard this at least whispered around the offices, or maybe you've seen a toque or a sock or something or a glove that looks like the old Metropolitans around the shop. Well, you know, Jeff, I, I, I can't I can't tell you anything I've seen or not seen. I'm so focused on the, the team on the ice. I'm not sure what <laughs> marketing has going on. We'll find out. Hmm. Uh, that's Carney for maybe Merrick and stop asking questions. Okay, very good. Um, this is great. As all, real, real quick, I mean, tonight it's the Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, this team is like, they're one of the toughest teams to play against. Like, it's such an aggressive team. Uh, this is a team that doesn't give you a chance to breathe in any of the three zones. What do you look for tonight between the Hurricanes and the Kraken? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup, right? Because we know how stout Carolina is in terms of just destroying and shutting down transition play. That's something the Kraken have been effective at. But I think the Kraken are really going to bear down in terms of being responsible with the puck and trying to generate. And again, with this confidence that they have with the play in net right now, I think it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating battle on either end, which, which side of this comes out on the win side. We'll see if we'll be tuned in. Allison, uh, great work as always. Thanks as always for stopping by. Much appreciated. We'll chat soon, my friend. Sounds so good. Take care. There she is, uh, the great Allison Lucan, analyst for the Seattle Kraken uh, in action tonight against the Carolina Hurricanes. There are 12 uh, games on the board tonight around the NHL. I mean, park it and watch it. There's no shortage of great games on the horizon this evening uh, and a lot of curious games as well, like right off the hop. Your 7 o'clock Eastern start, the lone 7 o'clock Eastern start. We got a little bit of a stagger tonight, thankfully, folks. Um, the Vancouver Canucks facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, Vancouver looked like killers against the Edmonton Oilers. We know that. And then outside of Thatcher Demko uh, on Monday, they looked uh, anything but that. And you can only go to the well so many times to blast your team publicly. I think Rick Tockett knows that. This isn't his first rodeo. But he used his first bullet of the season after that loss against the Philadelphia Flyers, probably just to call to attention, hey, we've got a road trip here. we got three more games against some tough teams, Tampa, Florida, and then we'll finish up against the Nashville Predators on Tuesday before we go back home. We've squandered road trips before. Let's not let that happen again. So we'll be fascinating to see the Vancouver Canucks, which Vancouver Canucks team comes out tonight uh, against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Also, the Toronto Maple Leafs are in action against the Florida Panthers, uh, which is intriguing. Sorry, I spoke erroneously. There are four 7 o'clock starts tonight. The Maple Leafs and the Panthers are one of them. Uh, We talked about Austin Matthews earlier. This is the first meeting since the Florida Panthers ousted the Toronto Maple Leafs in the second round of last year's playoffs. Calgary Flames and the Buffalo Sabres, uh, the Preds and the New York Rangers, the Kings and the Wild. I mentioned the Oilers and the Flyers. A couple of late games as well to keep your eyes on. The Stars and the Ducks, the Golden Knights and the Jets, Coyotes and Blues, Blackhawks, Avs, Bruins, and the San Jose Sharks. Seattle Kraken taking on the Carolina Hurricanes. Highlight of the show today for me, Lance Kennedy talking to Stan Smeal. The legendary, the now legendary around here, Pizza Box Autograph. It's time to get a new one signed, Lance. It's time to get a new one signed.
Thanks to everyone who tuned in, either across the Sportsnet Radio Network or on Sportsnet 360. Talk to you in 22 hours for the Jeff Merrick Show across the radio network and on television on Sportsnet 360. Talk to you tomorrow.